Well, so good to be, be with you. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here along with uh, Sam and, and Brian. And it's a joy to serve uh, Fifth Church. This is a great body. If you're a guest, I welcome you as well. It's good to have you with us, uh, either here in person or possibly online as well. Great to be worshiping with you. Uh, Pastor Sam mentioned this at the beginning. Uh, if you're not as familiar with the church year, there's actually a calendar in the church that's not the same as the kind of calendar we know that starts on January 1. The church calendar starts with the first Sunday in Advent, which will, is a couple Sundays from now. But it, it runs through the whole year, and the final Sunday of the church year is a Sunday known as Christ the King Sunday. And it's the final Sunday of the year where we remember that we have a king, that, that Jesus is really our Lord. Uh, and as Sam mentioned, uh, because the kids are leading us in worship next Sunday uh, through their musical, we're kind of focusing on Christ the King Sunday today and taking that, that kind of focus. So it, it flows very naturally out of our Colossians series. For the fall here at Fifth, we were doing a sermon series through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And that, that letter talks a lot about the overlap of the ages. And if you were here for some of that series, this next image will look familiar to you. Uh, if this perchance is new to you, this is, this is the Christian understanding of time, so to speak. The current age, the age in which we're living right now, um, uh, it, it, that's, that's this age. The, the Jewish understanding is that we live in a current age, and when the Messiah comes, there'll be a definitive break, and then we'll move into the age to come. Uh, but, but Christians learned that in the first coming of Jesus, he inaugurated the age to come, the kingdom of God, but it hasn't yet fully come. So we live in this in-between time, this overlap of the ages. Uh, and when you look closely at the things that Jesus said when he spoke publicly, you can tell that the kingdom of God was the focus of his preaching. It's what he talked about all the time. An example would be his first line, the first line of his public ministry after he was baptized was this. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe the good news. Uh, now, if you're a little more familiar with the Bible, you might remember translations that say the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, it's a very interesting word in the Greek. Uh, the kingdom of God has come near or is at hand. It's a, it's a verb that means it's so close that it's within arm's length. It's like right here. And, and the mental model I always like to exercise is... If the kingdom of God is right here, it's way more than simply heaven when I die. It's way more than some religious idea that's way out there somewhere. It's not that the kingdom of God is you know, being advanced globally by missionaries over there and it's not present here. It's not even like it's just on the other side of town or even on the other side of the parking lot. The kingdom of God is right here. There is an overlap of the ages and we can be present to the kingdom that is present with us right now. And that's what we remember on Christ the King Sunday. There is a king and his kingdom is real. It's not just a religious idea. This is like a real thing. Whenever we call Jesus Lord, we acknowledge him as king. And one, one of the texts in the Bible that the church looks at on Christ the King Sunday is the story of Jesus appearing before Pontius Pilate. 
And we're going to read that today. It's from the Gospel of John, chapter 18. John 18, 33 through 40. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the, to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge to get against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leah. She's such a good reader and public speaker. You do that really well, Leah. Thank you. There's a king and his kingdom is real. Uh, I, I think back often uh, to a conversation I had with a member of our church who's sitting right back there, Jan Fields. Um, if you've been around this church for a bit, Jan and Carol have been members for quite some time. Carol's a current elder in, in our church. And if you've been around Fifth for more than, say, like 16 years, you know that Jan helped lead the search committee that was then looking for a lead pastor that resulted in me coming to this church to serve in that capacity. And the conversation I think back on was one about a, a little essay I had to write. Our denomination has kind of a 10-page uh, resume kind of form, extended resume, where a, a pastor has to kind of fill it out and answer a bunch of written questions so a church considering hiring a pastor can get a better feel for kind of who they are, what they're thinking theologically, what kind of leader they might be. So it's a, it's a big, long thing. One of, one of the questions on that big 10-page resume deal is this. How do you hope a parishioner who has been introduced to the Christian faith and deeply influenced by your ministry would describe what he or she considers to be most important? That's a great question. Isn't that a good question? It took some thinking. Um, but here's, here's what I wrote back in 2007. I hope a person shaped by my ministry would know the importance of the biblical concepts of covenant and kingdom. In God's new covenant with us in Christ, God not only keeps his end of the bargain, but ours as well. This is the foundation of God's grace to us in Christ. An understanding of covenant is an understanding of our identity in Christ, an understanding of how greatly God loves us and the extent to which he has gone to reestablish a relationship with us. An understanding of kingdom is an understanding of what's really going on in this world and the task to which the church is called. Jesus spoke often of the kingdom of God. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. It was his focus and his message. I would hope a person shaped by my ministry would understand their life as a life in God's kingdom, present right here, 
and right now. Covenant and kingdom. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, maybe you've been a Christian since you were born, can never remember a time not being in the church, and you've, you've been around the Bible forever, you're very familiar with it. Maybe, maybe you've been in church, but you're really less familiar with the Bible. There was never really a time where you engaged deeply, it was just kind of went to church, that kind of thing. We, we all have different stories, right? Uh, this, this, this framework of covenant and kingdom, at least in my mind, is a super helpful framework because in a way, you could consider that a two-word summary of the whole of Scripture, covenant and kingdom. And if I had to answer that question on the profile again right now, I, I would give a very similar answer. Now, I get their churchy words, so you're kind of like, well, what, what do these things actually mean? Um, covenant is about relationship. You know, a, a, a covenant is a relationship between two people. So in that sense, uh, it leads to our understanding of our identity in our relationship with God. So covenant is relationship and identity. Kingdom is about responsibility. It's about meaning and purpose in the world. What are we actually doing here? You know, are we just snacking and watching football and getting through our days doing the things that we want to do or is there something much bigger going on here? So let's start with covenant, relationship, identity, that kind of thing. Rewind in the Bible to Genesis chapter 15. God made a covenant with Abram who would become Abraham after God kind of renamed him. Here's, here's a bit of that story from Genesis 15. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. I made it through all those names. So the, the image here for people of that culture and day would have been very familiar. It sounds super weird to us, right? But what was going on there was a covenant-cutting ceremony. And the way people made a covenant in the ancient world is they got some animals like this, and uh, the larger animals, like not the birds, uh, uh, you know, animals from the flock, right? Or I'm sorry, from the herd, uh, they, would, they would get and they would, they would slit the animal's throat and let it bleed out in a pool of blood. It's kind of gory, sorry. Let it bleed out in a pool of blood. And then they would cut the animal lengthwise in half, like this. And they'd put half on this side of the pool and half on that side of the pool. Really kind of gross, right? And then you got this pool of blood, and the two people making the covenant would stand opposite of each other. And say I was making a covenant with Pastor Sam, I would walk through the blood, and in so doing, I would be saying to Pastor Sam, may it be to me like these animals if I don't keep my end of this deal. And then I would go back through. Then Pastor Sam would walk through the blood, 
and back, and he would be saying to me, may it be to me like these animals if I don't keep my end of the deal. So you, you get the sense. It's, it's not a contract. It, it is a relationship to which you are committing your life. You're saying, I am all in. I will not violate this. If I do, I forfeit my life. That's a covenant. So back in this story, remember the two parties, Pastor Sam and myself would do that. But in in this story that we read, two things passed between the pieces, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. Class, what might be the significance of that? A bit of foreshadowing, maybe? That God is going to play both parts? That God is saying, I will keep my end of the covenant. And by the way, I'm going to sneak around to your side and keep your end of the covenant for you. Which is exactly what Christians believe Jesus did. That we failed to keep our end of the covenant. And instead of letting us go, God loved us so much, he came to earth in person, in Jesus to keep our end of the deal for us, to fulfill perfectly all obedience to the divine law. That's from our communion liturgy. So Jesus keeps our end for us. This is what makes the new covenant new. God keeps both sides of it. Meaning, we didn't keep our end of the deal, but instead of us being made like those animals, Jesus was made like those animals for us, in our place. That's what his death on the cross signified. That's what he was fulfilling, accomplishing. So, the covenant has been fulfilled. All stipulations of the covenant have been perfectly met forever for the person who's in Christ because of what Jesus did for us. The result is that we can live in a covenant relationship with God in perfect freedom and confidence because Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the covenant on our behalf. Now, I don't know what's going on in your mind right now. Non-verbally, it seems like you're tracking with me. It's really quiet and you're looking at me. I'm not sure where you're at personally in your own spiritual journey. But could you imagine for a second that this is way more than just a pastor at a church talking about a thing? Can you imagine for a moment that this is a description of reality? That we live in a world where God is real, where God created all of us, where we went sideways, and where God loved us so much that he came in person to become like those animals, that we could be restored to perfect relationship with him. If it's hard for you to, if it's hard for you to buy, I'm just asking you to do this. Would you just imagine it for a moment? Would you just imagine for one moment that everything I said is absolutely true? Can you feel, can you sense the space of freedom in which you might be able to live? 
the, the way you could encounter your daily life waking up to a, a world dripping with such grace where you know that you are perfectly loved. For real. That's covenant relationship. And, and here's a picture of how it kind of works for us. God the Father has done everything he has done for us in Christ the Son. And now when we turn in a trust relationship, we relinquish the reins of our lives and choose to trust Christ instead. So as the scripture, we're adopted into God's family. We become sons and daughters of God the Father. And that has profound implications for our identity. Because when we're in Christ, we can hear the words that God spoke over Jesus at his baptism as words that God speaks over us now. Remember those words. You are my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Because of what the Father did for us in covenant love, fulfilling both ends of the covenant, our identity is changed. We receive a new identity. We don't have to uncover it. We don't have to dig around in this world to see what fits us. We simply receive it as a declaration of a God who loves us far more than we could ever imagine. The Father identity and it's from there from that place that we seek to obey or to follow Jesus I hope you're sensing how this is miles away from moralistic religion that you should do these things to kind of make yourself more presentable to God in the world that's not the gospel that's not Christianity that's some warped variant that's not even Christianity at all see we we obey we seek to follow Christ out of gratitude for all that God has done, done for us. Understanding that we live in covenant relationship. Understanding that we re, we've received new identity. We're sons and daughters of the king. And now we fall out of that place of completely solidly founded grace. Now we follow Jesus. And so I, could, I could keep talking for a long time on this. But that, that's covenant. Right? This is, the, this is the kind of restored relationship that, that the Bible is saying is currently available to everyone everywhere in this world where we can be absolutely secure in our relationship with God. No wondering, no like, eh, wringing your hands, yeah, ha, ha. Just, just secure. And peace, peace that passes understanding. That's another phrase from the Bible. I, can't, I don't understand it, but I have it because God gave it to me. Jesus fulfilled the covenant God made with Abram. The result is that God extends an invitation to all people everywhere to come home, to come back to the God who created them and loves them. I don't know where you're at, but if you're wandering from God and find yourself somehow hearing this today, either here or online or sometime later when you're watching it back online and you're wandering from God, know that God loves you and what we're talking about here isn't just like a religion. We're, we're saying like, this is what's actually happening in the world. This is the best explanation of reality I've found. 
And that means that you're welcome. You're welcome in the kingdom. You're invited to come home to Christ. And you don't have to do anything fancy. If in your mind you're thinking, well, I'll do that when I get everything else, this stuff kind of figured out. That's wrong thinking. You never get all the stuff figured out. You just got to come. You just got to turn. And what that means, it means putting your reliance, the weight of your being onto Jesus as opposed to whatever you've been trusting currently. That's what that means. Well, covenant. And then kingdom. Once we're in that covenant relationship, there's a kingdom responsibility, uh, a kingdom purpose, incredible meaning in life. What's next after you trust Christ is that you very quickly, day one, get ushered into the family business. Our little branch of the Christian tradition, the Reformed Church in America, emphasizes the covenant, right? In fact, we describe Reformed theology as covenantal theology, and it is that. It's covenantal theology. It's biblical theology. Uh, We emphasize the new covenant and the relationship we have with God because of it. As a tradition, we're very comfortable with covenantal theology and probably less comfortable with kingdom theology. But in the Bible, it's both, covenant and kingdom. And we're focused today on Christ as king. Now, there's a king, and his kingdom is real. No matter where we are in life at this moment, that is a true statement. There are two parts to this, king and kingdom. Uh, we, made, we made mention already that we live in a land founded by people fleeing the rule of a king. <laughs> There's something in our corporate DNA, I think, that has us hardwired to rebel against that or, or resist that in some way. It very much shapes our understanding. I have several friends who are British, and it's very clear that Christians in the UK and Christians in the US have very different cultural experiences that inform what they think about when they hear Jesus referred to as a king. Very interesting. We're not, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but here's what the Bible means by king. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. There we go, the overlap of the ages again, right? So Jesus is king of the whole deal has all rule and authority, power and dominion. So I just want to think about the whole world, think about the people of the world who are alive right now at this moment, everything happening in the world. Think about you as a citizen of the world right now. There is no House of Representatives. There is no Senate. There is no Parliament. There are no elections. This is not a democracy. This is an absolute monarchy. There is a king, and his kingdom is real and present right here, right now. The earth has a king, and his name is Jesus. Gladly, he exercises all of that authority and power and dominion and rule as a servant leader one who shows up with everything and all power 
and lays it all down for the sake of others. We're called to the same thing. Lay it all down. You ever wonder why the Apostle Paul used that imagery of his life being poured out like a drink offering? I don't know if you've ever visualized this, but the altar would have been burning hot. And when you take one little glass of wine and pour it on a burning hot altar, do you know what happens? It's gone. That's what God's inviting us to. It might feel super hard to just pour out your whole life onto the altar. Gone. It's not really gone. But it's that kind of sacrifice. Just pour it out. Just give it up. And let God deal with all the rest. There's a king and his kingdom is real. As followers of that king, our primary citizenship is in the kingdom. Look at this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When a, when a person trusts Jesus, they become a citizen of the kingdom of God. They're adopted into God's family. They become a son or daughter. And your, your citizenship, your, your new passport is issued, right? Your citizenship is in the kingdom. And that becomes your primary citizenship. And again, you're recruited to the family business, to the leadership team. And, and not only are you, are you brought in at kind of a low-level position, you're granted authority from the get-go. The qualification to act and speak on behalf of the king. Look at this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. If you're in Jesus, your sins are not counted against you. Right? Incredible freedom. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Sidebar, because that reconciliation is available to you right now. It's completely open to you. You've been invited. The cross stands as the great letter of invitation to the entire world come home, come back, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that's Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means from a biblical perspective is that when we transfer our trust from whatever we're trusting in now to, to Jesus, God gives us a, a, a new history of our performance credentials so to speak, a, a new resume. Uh, to quote Tim Keller, he applies to us the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus. That's what, the, that's what becoming the righteousness of God means. We're, we're back to a perfectly right relationship with God as if our sin never happened. It's certainly not counted against us. But when God looks at followers of Jesus, people who trust him, he sees 
Jesus' performance record. Again, can you turn your imagination on and not let that slide by as a religious idea in a sermon, but simply imagine that that is actually true? That if you're in Christ, the God of the universe is looking at you and what he sees is Jesus' perfect performance record. Now, we still have some responsibility to become more like Jesus. Yep, that's the work of sanctification. And we, we do all of that in the context of knowing that God the Father fulfilled the covenant on our behalf and Christ kept up his end of the deal and our end of the deal in Jesus that we're perfectly free. We've been given a new identity. So we engage the daily struggle from this place of grace, not from the place of thinking God's up there in heaven looking down with a, a, a scowl on his face, tapping his foot, wondering when will they ever get it right? That's the wrong image. It's not biblical. We're ambassadors. We've been given authority. Jesus said that his followers would do even greater things than he did. You remember that? Look at John 14. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. AKA, I'm going to the Father and going to give you the Spirit. You're not going to do all these greater things in your own power, but my Spirit will empower my followers to advance ministry in my name to a world I love. That's what this means. And this is where we kind of get uncomfortable, right? Or where we, th- we have thought less in our tradition. Here's how the kingdom works according to the Bible. You got the Father is also the King. Remember the last one was Father, Identity, Obedience. The Father happens also to be the king of the universe. And our identity as sons and daughters of the king carries with it an implicit authority of princes and princesses, right? Of the kingdom. Because our dad's the king. It's not an authority to be powered up, used over other people. It's to be exercised just as Jesus exercised his as a servant leader, laying it all down so that others might come, back, come home to God. We, we have that authority. See, people who are in Christ have spiritual authority in the name of Jesus. The king gives authorization, grants authority to his disciples to act on his behalf. Jesus said this to his disciples. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, I get that some Christians in some places have thought that this means literal authority over literal snakes and scorpions, and they like do weird stuff with snakes and scorpions. That's weird. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about spiritual authority. Uh, that, That we can stand and not fear. Knowing that in Christ, in this covenant relationship we have with God, no matter what life throws our way, God is for us, God loves us, and God is with us. And he's proven all of that in and through Jesus. Said one commentator, authority is the right and liberty to exercise power. Again, like Jesus did, but the Holy Spirit does empower us. Can we go back one slide to the triangle thingy again? King, authority, and then power. 
We can function in the world, not in our own power, not in our own strength. But when you're marked by the, the, the gracious spirit of God, there is an empowering there, a spiritual empowering that we can feel. Like you can sense this when that power is in play. And that is accessible to followers of Jesus, not for our own good, but for the purpose of advancing God's purposes in the world. So this is kingdom theology. Biblically, it goes hand in hand with covenant theology. In Christ, we are made secure in our relationship with God now and forever. That's covenant. And we go out to serve in the name of Jesus to tell everyone everywhere that they too can be secure in their relationship with God through what Jesus has done for us all. That's kingdom. I mean, it's not just telling. You know, there's more to it than that, but that's a different sermon. But the emphasis on now and forever. This doesn't just start when either Jesus returns or you or I die. It has begun. Remember I mentioned that when you read the New Testament, you see that phrase eternal life. If you do the word study on that, it, it literally means the, the life of the age to come. And the life of the age to come has already been inaugurated in Jesus. It is at hand right here. Look at what Jesus said. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst, right here, right now. What is the kingdom of God? Is it just a thing in your head? No. Just a thing in your heart? No. Just heaven when we die? No. The kingdom of God is any realm where what God prefers is what happens. And you know the battle in your own life. Sometimes what God prefers is not what happens in your life, nor mine. We're works in progress, right? And we catch glimpses, hints and guesses, right? Of a realm where what God prefers is exactly that which happens. That's the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God in the present moment, in you, in me, in this world. And we're part of it. Not way out there, right now. Ambassadors of the king and his kingdom. There is a king, and his kingdom is real. Jesus fulfilled the covenant on our behalf, and we are free. This is good news. And it's good news for everyone, everywhere. There is a king, and his kingdom is real. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Uh, Lord, I was reminded this week that perhaps the most notable mark of a follower of yours living in your present kingdom is humility. 
So might you please pour out your spirit on us to make us humble and in every way to make us more like our great God and King Jesus, the servant leader. And wherever the message today is kind of rubbing on our minds and hearts, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, and show us what's next. In Jesus' name, amen.